in the first century and some of the dynamics that they were dealing with and asking some critical questions about, you know, why didn't they make it? Some of them ceased to exist. Some of them were taken out. Some of them had some serious problems that we need to pay attention to. Every church that exists today needs to keep an eye on the, the issues that were at work in the churches in, in the book of Revelation because I think we all have to ask ourselves, what would ours say? What would our letter say if we got one from Jesus Christ? What, what would His grade be on our church? This church, like I said, they were barely alive. And what I want to do is try to draw out some insights from what they were challenged with, what their warnings were, so that we can try to apply that both to our personal lives and also to the, just the way we do church life as a whole. Um, I just got back from a conference in Texas, and I go to these conferences twice a year at the church that kind of helped us. It's a grandfather church, helped us get started. And um, while I was there, I saw a handful of friends. Many of those friends are pastors who are leading churches around the country. Most of them have planted their churches. They're church planters. And so they, they're all very curious about how things are going for us. Uh, many of those churches invested in getting us started. So they sent money, they sent manpower, they sent teams. And so anytime I see these guys, they always come up to me, and how's it going, Josh? What's, what's new? What's going on? Give us the state of the church in, in, in Orangecrest where you've planted. And, um, you know, I'm tempted to just talk about all the good stuff, you know? You know, about... If we're growing, I, you know, I talk about we're growing and there's new people coming and, you know, we're talking about launching another service and we're talking, you know, we're adding more donuts and that must be a good sign, you know, and, you know, <clears throat> tempted to just focus on all the positive things I could think about. And but the truth is, and you all know this, if you've been here for any number of time, we have holes in our organization. We have holes in our own lives. We have holes in the way we do church. We have we have holes, don't we? I mean. If you're around for a little while and you interact and you, you rub shoulders with people, you might have some rough interaction. And, yeah, and there's, there's these holes at times. and you, you, This church isn't perfect. And you probably have experienced that. I probably see uh, more holes than you do because I'm looking at this thing pretty much on a daily basis and trying to understand what, 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 what do we need to do to stay on track. And, but it's easy for me to give a report just on all the good stuff and to just kind of say, yeah, things are great. And then to minimize the stuff that I know we need to pay attention to or to focus on. The word can get around about a church, but sometimes a reputation is very, very different than what's really happening. Reputation versus reality. And that's the issue at stake in this letter. That was, that was the case in this place called Sardis. There was a church in a place called Sardis. And if you'd like, you can pull out your listening guide and follow along. It says at the top, a church's reputation may seem convincing to some, but God can see through illusions. Isn't that the truth? God can actually see right into our church. He sees through the walls. He sees through the facades. He sees past appearances and numbers and donuts and finances. He sees right into the core of who we are and what we're about, what we're doing, what we're not doing, or what we're rewarding and honoring and what we're you know, well, we're not paying attention. He, he looks at it all. He's very, very much aware. And the idea in these letters is that Christ himself walks amongst his churches. In those seven churches, he's, he is walking amongst his churches. But the truth is, he still does that. He's presently walking amongst all churches that claim to follow him. And he's evaluating what we do, what we're about. 
So this church in Sardis, I want to tell you a little bit about this church. Sardis was probably one of the churches that Paul and, and the leaders in the Ephesian church had planted. We looked at the church in Ephesus uh, three weeks ago. And here's a map just to kind of give you an idea of where Sardis. You'll see Sardis kind of near the middle of Asia Minor. It was about 30 miles south of the city we looked at last week, Thyatira. And it was one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. Sardis, uh, look at this picture of this amphitheater. You get just an idea of some of these. This is a pretty good-sized amphitheater. You know, they would put on productions, play dramas, and people would come and gather. This was not like this uh, podunk town that was, you know, just a blip on the map. They really were one of the uh, more prestigious, well-known ancient cities. They've got, they even have this gymnasium. You see a picture of the gymnasium. Next slide. And it, you know, they're... You know, the big thing for the Greeks, obviously, was, you probably know this, Olympics, the games, right? And so people would train for these, for these games. And so um, it doesn't look like LA Fitness or 24-Hour Fitness, but apparently this is where the athletes would come to train and to get ready for the games. You've probably heard of this guy. Let me show you a picture of him. Aesop, or is it Aesop? I think I, Aesop. Aesop? Aesop was the famous Greek writer of fables. And uh, he was said to have been from the city Sardis. He was a modest guy, obviously. He's got a leaf on it, so that's good. In case, you're, in case in the back you're wondering about, if you can't see all that clearly, that is a leaf. So um, appreciate his modesty. But he's the guy, he's a modest guy because he wrote children's stories too. So he wrote the tortoise and the hare and other fables that you've probably heard about. And, uh, but he came from this city. This was a, this, again, this was a famous city. They had a reputation. Here's another picture of some of the ancient ruins. Uh, major industry in this city was gold and silver. They would, they would actually take gold from the nearby rivers. Sardis was kind of wedged among some hills up high, about 1,500 feet above the lower valley. And so it had this Acropolis, uh, you know, it was up high and, and typically that made this place somewhat of an impenetrable fortress, but eventually it later did, um, it later fell. Uh, there was, there was a, like a thriving garment clothes industry in, in the city of Sardis. They actually learned how to do, they had a dye industry. They knew how to color clothes there and they had this well-known dye industry. And you see something about the, the language used in the passage that ties to some of these facts about them. The city's primary object of worship was, was a goddess. Uh, much like the goddess that the Ephesians uh, worshipped, her name was Artemis, they had a different goddess, but the same, it's the same goddess they called her something different. And so here's a picture of the temple that, this is all that's left of it, but this is where they worshipped their goddess. They'd come together, they'd worship their goddess. And the church at one point came to this place and thrived. They began to prosper. They were expanding, they were off to this great start, but... By the time that John was writing this letter, Jesus had, had given John a vision. He wrote this letter to these seven churches. At that point, the glory days were over. The church was already in decay, and, and they were actually going down. And there's impending judgment coming to this church in Sardis. The reputation at one point was really, really strong. They were off to a good start. But their warning states that the church in Sardis, and you see this in your outline, they performed deeds... But they were just going through the motions. They performed all of these good things. They were about works. They were about some good works. But they were just 
doing it for show. Let's look at the text together. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 says this, To the angel, and we've established that 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 means the leader, the elder, the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. A lot of symbolism again in this, in this description. As, he's, as Jesus is describing himself, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. This is really a reference. Anytime you see the word seven, the symbolism, you, probably, you may know this. Anybody know what that means? Seven stands for, yeah, completion. It's complete. So this is really a reference to the fact that the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So God, His church is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, He's just referring to Himself. He's the one that holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Those stars, we looked at this earlier. I'm not going to go into too much explanation, but the stars really represent the messengers, those who likely took the letters from John and carried them back to the churches to deliver the message to each of these churches. And He says this. Here's the message. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And if you skip down to verse 2, the end of verse 2, it says, For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So they were doing things, but they were dead. Jesus skips the usual like warm greeting and praise at the moment. He just gets right down to, I'm concerned for you. They have this outward appearance, and though it may have been Fooling other people, it was not getting past Jesus. He, he, he couldn't be fooled by them. And like many of the churches in Revelation, and many of the churches that exist today, we can easily be defiled by the ways of the world. We can get off track very quickly. We can be inwardly decaying. And that's what was the case in this church. We can be filled with a group of unredeemed people. People who are playing church, but... But inside, they've not been redeemed. They've not experienced the new life, the real new life. And that was what was happening. They're still dead in their sins, he's saying. They were actually like zombies, lifeless people in this church where, where they should have seen life. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, I put this passage in there. It's up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2 describes how if you knew Christ, it was like you were dead and you came to life. There's a song by a rock band that I, that I used to like. I haven't heard it in a while, but it says, Bring Me to Life. And it's this real eerie song. But it's, as I read the, as I listen to that song, I always thought about this passage because it, it is a band, Evanescence, if you've ever heard of that. If you think about the words of that song and you parallel to Ephesians chapter 2, you really see, wow, there's some similarity there in what that song is about. Because I think this is what she was talking about in the song. But look at this. It says Ephesians 2 1 it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Spiritual death in the New Testament is always connected to its cause. Spiritual death is always connected to the to sin. Look at where he goes. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is, what we, this is what we used to do. We followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the world, Satan. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. So he's talking to the church and he's saying, this is where you've come from. You used to follow the ways of the world. There's still people that do. But he's saying, you used to come from that place. 
And following His desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. God's wrath rested upon anyone who's dead, rests upon anyone who's dead in their sins, who've not yet been redeemed. They're objects of God's wrath, destined for punishment and eternal separation in hell. And so he goes on and he says, but because, verse 4, here's the turning point, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God, here's the promise, God raised us up with Him, with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He gives this picture to the church in Ephesus about death to life. He's saying, you've been given a second chance. The problem is, the church in Sardis, they were given that chance to be alive, but they were still dead. He's saying, some of you are still dead in your sins. Some of you are still unregenerate. You're still you have not yet been redeemed. That was a real problem. Instead of being alive and experiencing this new life, the newness that comes with knowing Christ, this church was kind of like a museum, like a Bass Pro Shop. Have you ever been to Bass Pro Shop where you have all the animals that are stuffed on the walls and they're in kind of their scenes of the natural habitat? I love Bass Pro Shop. It's just a lot of fun to go through there. But you know they're fake, don't you? You're not afraid of them and you're not... You know that those things, um, though they appear to be normal, they're still dead. And that's kind of the case in this church. Is It kind of appeared like things were alive, but in truth, they were, they were stuffed. They were, they were just they were fake. Sin had practically killed off this church. So for the most part, the church was in serious judgment. There's a serious problem. Look at where he goes, verse 2b up on the screen, it says, For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. They were just going through the motions. The good things that they tried to do were not complete. He's accusing them of just playing games. He's saying, look, you don't even, you don't even go all the way with your deeds. You're not even bringing things to completion. The reason is because the Spirit of God was not the one motivating the work. They were still dead in their sins. They were still trying to produce good things to please God, but they were doing it on their own without the power of God inside them. But surprisingly, the church still contained a small remnant of people who were faithful. They still had this group inside who were walking with God. But it was a small group. Look at Revelation 3, verse 4. He says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. That word soiled really is the word stained. And it's tied, I think it's most people would also say that's tied to the fact that they understood the imagery of, of garments being dyed. And they had not been stained by the sin that was around them. There was a few people that held on. They were actually staying faithful to the message of Jesus and to, and to allowing themselves to, or choosing to walk with Him. And He makes this promise, They will walk with Me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. So in the midst of this dead church, there's these... There's a few people who were faithful to Christ, but they were kind of scattered around and they held on to godly character. Which is really a challenge, I think, for us in this world. In the world that we live in, even in our churches. The question, will a few people hang on to what's right and to continue to, to, to live those things out? Even if a church begins to move away from the things of God, will, will, will a few people stay committed to what's true and what's right? This is actually God's strategy 
I think in many times, God uses this faithful remnant to share the message in a godless society or in a godless environment because He wants to prove He can do something through a very, very small group of people. But Christ was so concerned because they were not... It didn't look like they were going to hang on. This, this small remnant, He was concerned that they might lose, uh, lose their stride, lose their focus, eventually lose their church. And so they received an urgent path to spiritual restoration. He gives them this plan. This is what you need to do, He's saying. If you want to stay on track, if you want to remain faithful and hang in there, here's what you need to do. Revelation 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Wake up, first thing, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember, therefore, what you've received and you heard. Obey it and repent. If you don't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So he gives them this path. First thing he says is evaluate the situation and get involved in change. Saying, wake up. Evaluate what needs to happen here. Don't just stay asleep or don't lull yourself to sleep because the concern was that some of the faithful were beginning to lose hope, lose focus, lose sight. So he's saying, wake up. This is an urgent situation. This was not a time to just go with the flow. They had to act. Sometimes we personally need a wake-up call from the Lord to get us moving. When I was in high school, I was really hard to wake up for my parents. They'd come in and they'd open the door and they'd, Josh, get up. Eh. Five minutes later, they'd do the whole thing again. They'd have to come in over and over and sometimes pull the, you know, pull the covers off me. And I just, you know, just didn't want to do what I knew I needed to do. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives, I think. Sometimes we just need to be, we need to get up and realize, wow, we have, to, we have to do something about the situation. We can't just, especially if we notice a group like our church is, is falling asleep at the wheel. Like we, we recognize people are sl- slipping off track. We can't just, just stay in bed and let that happen. And he's saying, wake up, do something about it. The next thing he says is, fan into flame the dying members who were still there. It's a responsibility we have to just to strengthen the people who were already who are, who are trying to remain faithful. And this is what he says. Strengthen what remains as, as, and is about to die. It kind of gives you the imagery of a campfire that's about to go out. There's a little bit of embers left. And you go up and you, you fan it and you add some more wood, right? You can still keep that fire alive. If you do nothing and it's about to die, eventually there is a point of no return. And he's saying, do something right now. Band together. Many times... We have to play this role in people's lives. If we see another person who walks with Christ trying to hang in there, but they get caught up in the things of the world, they get caught up in some, in some struggles that, that's just slowly choking the life out of them, it's our, it's our responsibility to come alongside them and to fan into flame the life that's inside of them. To give them the tools that would add some fire into their life so they could begin to grow again and take some steps forward. It's our responsibility to do that with each other. This is why we, we make commitments. So he's saying, press on. Encourage others to press on. Then next he says, establish a solid foundation of scriptural truth. This is that part of the verse that says, remember therefore what you've received and heard. He's saying, go back to home base in what you understand about the message of Jesus and about what, what you've heard being taught. They needed to go back to the truths of the Word of God. Remembering the Gospel and remembering the teachings of the apostles, just tying 
the message together and understanding what is it we're trying to do here? What is it we're standing on? He's saying, go back to home base. They needed to guard that because many of the churches, the other churches, were falling prey to false teaching. And so he's saying, look, you're faithful. The one thing that could take this group out is false teaching. They buy into the wrong things and they pour their time and energy into something that's wrong. That church would cease to exist. And if you're a follower of Christ, messages can help. You know, what we do on Sundays, this can help. Small groups can help. But nothing can be a substitute for you invest, investing personally in your, pers- in your spiritual growth. If you're trying to walk with God and you're asking other people to do it for you, you're going to remain immature all your life. You'll get into heaven. But the life that we live here is really it's precious. It's, it's short. And God wants to do something in our lives. He wants us to grow up. We eat our Wheaties in the morning because we know we need to eat. We don't expect our moms to come up and, as adults, you know, knock on the door around 7 in the morning. Oh, mom's here to feed me. You know, she comes in, puts the bib on us, spoons Wheaties in our mouth because we. But sometimes in our spiritual life, we take that position. We expect someone else to do it for us. There's nothing that can substitute for our own personal investment in our growth. So the encouragement here to the church was establish the, you know, a firm footing around the truth. We need to do that. Then he says this. He just simply says, obey. Obey it. Once you've, once you've landed on the truth, now obey it. Theology and doctrine is great, but apart from obedience, if you have the right theology and doctrine, you need that. You have to have that. But apart from obedience, it doesn't mean anything. If we don't obey, if we don't do anything with our beliefs, then it, it does us no good. Then last he says, confess and turn away from their sins. He just says, repent, turn around. When God shows us our sin, he, he wants us to do something with it. He wants us to turn to Him, turn away from our sin. This was the path that they were given to spiritually revive themselves. They needed this. And the, the good thing for this church was they still had a little bit of time. What would our letter say? Would it say, you know what, that's a good show, but you're going through the motions. I look, if Christ were to say, I've looked into the lives of the people that attend here. Would he say, you know, they sing well. You know, they're, they're involved. They're even giving. They're even serving. But I've looked into their lives and they're going through the motions. There's, you know, would he say there are still some people who, who are unredeemed that have claimed to follow Christ? Now, if you're here and you're investigating, we want you to just, we want you to work through that process at your own pace. We don't want you to feel <clears throat> pressured from us. We want, we trust that God is the one that's responsible for drawing your heart to Him. But if you claim to know Christ, you've already decided, you've said, you, I've already decided to follow Him, and yet. The life that we live, the reputation that we have is different from the reality of what really exists. And that's a problem. Christ is saying, that can't be. We've got to wake up. We have to do something about it. We can't just be living off of our past successes personally. Like, well, but I I had this real emotional experience at one point. Or as a church. Or we had a really good launch. We were off to a good start. That's great, he's saying, but that's not enough. But it's worth it. It really is worth it. To walk with Him, to remain faithful, it's worth it. Look at the promise He gives. True followers of Christ have an eternally secure future. The end of the passage says, He who overcomes 
The, guy, the, the, the gal, guy or gal who hangs in there will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. This is a promise he makes. But I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus ends with this encouragement to the faithful group. He says, hang in there. Every follower of Christ will one day be clothed in white. Pure. You will walk with Christ. You will celebrate the victory that Jesus Himself has won over sin, over death, over Satan. You will be... It's worth it. He's saying, hang in there. This is not a game. It's not something to play around with. It's worth it. Hang in there till the very end of your life. In Sardis, this group of indifferent Christians, they needed to wake up before it was too late to save their church. <clears throat> a little more history here. What happened to the church in Sardis? Did they heed the warning? It appears that they did. There was, some, there was a guy named Melito. And here's a picture of... This is a picture of a 4th century copy of his manuscript. Now, this is a 4th century copy of a manuscript. He had written the original document in the 2nd century. And his document was a defense of the Christian faith to the emperor. And so it tells us that this church... By at least until the end of the second century, was still thriving. He was giving a defense of the faith. This document, one of the earlier church history documents that there is, and, and you know, it tells us that they, at least for a while, the church hung in there. They remained faithful. The major takeaway, though, from this letter, really has to do with not just starting strong, but staying faithful, hanging in there. And really knowing that you have encountered Christ personally. Making sure that you're in the faith. If you, if you think you're in the faith, be sure to know that you're in the faith. Because he was saying there's a bunch of you in this church that are still unredeemed in this church in Sardis. And he would ask the same question. Are there people that in their, in their minds they think, yeah, you know, I'm good with God. But when it comes down to it, they're, they're still unredeemed. They're still dead in their sins. That's the question we have to ask of ourselves. Also, we have to ask, am I growing? Am I growing spiritually in the present? Or am I just relying on stories of my past that I've pretty much fallen asleep? Am I, feel, am I fully yielding myself to the Lord on a daily basis? Am I letting Him do His work through the power that His Holy Spirit provides? Is He the one producing the good fruit in my life? There is still time to respond to God. That's the great part about this letter. It gives us hope. There's still time. There's The only time... You know, it's only too late as if you're dead. As long as you're all breathing, as long as we're living, God can still do this work in us. And here's another promise. If you're at a point where you're thinking, you know what, I don't think I've really experienced the new life. I've been doing this church thing, but I'm not sure that I really am in the faith. I'm not sure that I really responded. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Maybe you need to experience the newness that He brings. Maybe you feel like, I'm not sure that I really have. I can't answer that question. If, if that's you, I would encourage you to, on the back of that connection card, check, check the box that says you'd like to learn more about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And allow us to give you some information and, and possibly meet with you if you'd like that. Have somebody from our staff or another leader to talk with you to make sure you've nailed down this issue. Also, there's still time for us to fan into flame the spiritual embers of the rest of the group. All of us at times need people to come alongside us and strengthen us, like he's saying. To point out things in our life that may not be right. To say, hey, I'm concerned about you, brother. 
sister. I'm concerned about you, friend. I'm concerned that your life may be heading in the wrong direction. And, and I just I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. I want, I want to help you grow. I want to help you not make that wrong turn and then veer off. Let's just not become apathetic towards our condition. I think that's the, one of the points in this, in this passage. So here are some next steps you might want to consider. On the back of that card, on the connection card, you might consider taking one of these next steps. And in a few moments, our ushers will be coming around and they're going to be collecting our offering and they'll also receive the, uh, the connection card. The first next step says this, confess to God any known sin that is winning the battle. Maybe you recognize, I am, I am a Christian possibly, but I, or I'm a Christian and I know that I am, but there is some sin in my life that is choking the life out of me. There's some things in my life that is keeping me from growing and is taking control. It's winning the battle. Sin was slowly killing this church. This was the issue. We're not told all the details, but that was the problem. So maybe this is a, a box you'd want to check and a commitment to make. Confess to God sin in our lives and then ask God to help us to repent of those things. The next thing, purpose to not fight alone by asking someone to help. Maybe you've gotten off track and you just know you need to talk to someone about it. I would encourage you to take that step and talk to the person you already know that's walking with him. Or if you don't know anybody that's walking with him, check it on the box and then write in the comment section, I'd like to talk to someone about staying on track so that I can, I can keep producing good things or God can keep producing good things in my life. Or the last thing is decide to band together with others in church life by attending today's OCC preview. It's a big part of why we have membership. We, as we explained last week, it's so that there's some accountability. If you choose, if you'd like that kind of accountability to stay walking with Christ and to have some people that are looking after you and that are, that, with the help of God, are really trying to walk together. We're trying to walk together to accomplish some things for all eternity. So today, this thing Bruce was talking about at 11.30, the OCC preview, you might consider attending that to learn what that's all about. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer.